content, although the pieces had been pretty obviously written down one right after the other. Had he felt death's breath on his neck and reconsidered his lifelong secretive stance regarding his personal record? By letting his mind bounce back like a Mexican jumping bean, was he hoping to parse out his career, his achievement, his place in his profession? He hadn't bothered to really explain the why of the writing, although an array of hints and intimations were strewn about. And the provenance of the manuscript? The researcher did not feel at liberty to discuss this, and his reticence is perhaps understandable. After all, he had put in those decades of work, making connections, digging deep, laying out tendrils of a detective-like network, establishing friendships and remaining ever hopeful of anything that might be unearthed, dying to get into the history and the head of the long-dead artist. Something must have clicked, or a lock broke loose, or a memory was liberated from somewhere. That is another story. Let's just say that eventually the document had found its way to him. Being able to add these personal reflections to his previous research, like the shimmer of a knowing light from beyond the grave, providing illumination into Malinesque shadows, no one had truly expected this, not even him, the increasingly discouraged optimist. He resolved to share this bonanza, to publish what he could of these autobiographical renderings. At last, he need no longer be limited to the handful of public documents, the meager official record. The manuscript didn't answer everything, but he realized that it was his skeleton key, a newly revealed means of opening up for the public a bigger picture and context to help understand Malin Blaine, the man, his world, and his work. Malin deserved this chance, at least. The Publisher Posteriority, 1968. It was on a dreary night in November that I beheld the accomplishment of my toils. Mary Shelley, Frankenstein. I will surely die in my damn dinky room in this blasted biggest city of the stupid stinking hemisphere. That's what I predict, and probably sooner than later. So they'll come and heft me onto a gurney and strap me down. Jesus, am I going to run off or something? Did I mention that first they'll wrestle me into a body bag? That won't be any fun for anybody, including me, even though I'll already be dead, you see. Then these two or three gentlemen from the New York City morgue, looking and smelling damn official in bleach-white uniforms, will grab the sewn-in handles at each end of my bag and groan and lift. This will sort of squash my shoulders and feet together, much as my bed does now, come to think of it. But by then I will be beyond such discomfort, so no big deal. Once I'm on the rig, they'll glide me out the door and down the hall, around a few corners, and back to the freight elevator. What a pathetic, dilapidated bucket of crap that thing is, and rank smelling even before we get in. The way it works around here, I'll have been dead for, oh, 14 hours, 27 minutes, and 23 seconds before Robert, the wispily coiffed dainty desk guy, 
reluctantly uses his passkey to check out this pernicious odor that a concerned room renter will have reported. Robert's call for the ambulance, a slow crank of bureaucracy, and I'll finally get all packaged up and wheeled around. My final tour. Down and out to the Cadillac body wagon and we'll be on our way. A last ride in a truly first-class vehicle. At least on this planet. That's how it's done around here. NYC. To the rescue. Unbelievably, I've lasted more than 74 years. Bye-bye, old life. Been good to know you. Back in my room is all my stuff. It won't be much. Uh, how much stuff might a fella haul around with him when he's always moving from rented room to borrowed bunk to crappy cot in some godforsaken hole in somebody's basement or attic? Not a lot. As I sit here on my bed and look around me now, I spy my sketchbook with a half dozen...